0: This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Hey man. Take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, The Game.
1: And welcome everyone. It is Under the Dome with CD. Do not adjust your clocks because it's not a time where, you know, obviously we got... You know, daylight savings time and then the end of daylight savings time and you either spring forward or fall back. You don't need to adjust your clocks under the Domewood CD getting started around 10 o'clock this morning. Do not adjust your sets. We're here for one week only from 10 a.m. to noon. Then after next week, we're going to be on from 9 to 11 going forward. And I'm looking forward to it. And we got so much to get to. But of course... We are coming to you live from the beautiful, palatial, First South Farm Credit Studios.
0: Baby, we're looking good. Woo!
1: And appreciate you listening in, however you're doing. So be it through that old school FM dial.
0: The tower of power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh, yeah.
1: And hopefully you're getting ready for a great Saturday. Of course, appreciate you listening in as well. If you're listening on the old dot com. The free mobile app or better yet if you're listening in through your favorite smart speakers amazon alexa google home however you do so and also appreciate you getting things going on a louisiana saturday morning I almost want to say afternoon it's more 10 o'clock it's more of a morning at 11 o'clock i'll make sure to say afternoon you can say that's how we're going to roll here over the next two hours and of course if you want to get in on the conversation 337 706 337 706 And we got a lot to get to over the course of the next two hours. But we're going to kind of start off with something that I've talked about before, but I feel like hitting it again. Because why the heck not? It's my show. I can kind of do to a certain extent whatever I want. I can push buttons and do all these crazy things that I normally do on the show. But you know, this is much more something that I've talked about in the past. But I think it needs to be readdressed with another Saturday Sports Sermon.
0: The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Who testify? It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon.
1: Oh, Major League Baseball, how much I have a love-hate relationship with you. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you've got people in that front office or as head coaches that are still believing that, you know, we should have a, these unwritten rules of baseball should be treated like they're the Ten Commandments. Whenever those, I mean, I think the unwritten rules of baseball and the Ten Commandments go hand in hand when it comes to some of the older school guys. And This goes back to last year. I went off on this, but the unwritten rules of baseball. These jabronis, in response to you know their reaction to Fernando Tatis Junior.'s grand slam and everything that happened in that, you know the pimpin' of the home run, all that stuff. How they don't like it. How, I mean, the fact he was oh, it's a grand slam. Whenever you're already well ahead, and if somebody, I mean, if somebody throws you something like that that you can't not pass up and just knock the hell out of, why not? I'm just gonna come out right on Front Street and say it's time for the old. Fogies of baseball to get out of the way of progress and let these guys in the field just have fun. And of course, it all begins with Tony La Russa being absolutely incensed over the fact that Yerman Mercedes, the rookie DH, swung at a 3-0 pitch while facing Willens, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, Astudillo, a position player who threw a 43-mile-an-hour pitch. My arm will likely be shot to hell after, but I think I could sure as hell throw a little bit more than 43 miles an hour over the plate. And he sent that thing where many Dogecoin investors hope the price of that cryptocurrency went and lifted it to the moon. LaRussa said the next day, quote, with that kind of a lead, that's just sportsmanship or respect for the game or respect for your opponent. He made a mistake. There will be a consequence that he's going to have to endure within our family. It won't happen again in quote. He made a mistake. No, he didn't. If you have somebody who's throwing who's going three oh, you never know if he's gonna throw three straight strikes. More likely than not, it's gonna be a walk. But if you have a pitch that's right up your alley, you're gonna take that thing and lift it yard, especially if somebody's throwing a forty three mile an hour pitch, you're gonna be saying gone forever because that thing will be gone. I think went over 400 feet out of the park. And it boggles my mind that we hear there will be a consequence that he's going to have to endure within our family. It won't happen again. The next day, of course, you have somebody throwing behind Yerman. And I was like, what the hell's going on? Like, that's something that I... Again, I'm not a fan of the fact we get guys who are throwing... At batters for, and considering it basically in the world of pro wrestling, a receipt. And for those who don't know what a receipt is, basically whenever people are a little bit too snug in the squared circle, somebody wants to give it, give it back to them, I guarantee you, that's what this is. It's a receipt. It's making sure, to. it's a payback for the fact you underwhelm on a lot of different fronts. It's like you hit a little too hard, you hit a home run on us, whenever it's a three zero pitch, Apparently, these unwritten rules of baseball continue to be a thing. And I'm wondering, how did he make a mistake? The guy that was throwing pitches like that 43 miles an hour. That's the guy that should be reprimanded. And, you know, he was throwing junk balls. And La also mentioned, you know, after Mercedes justifiably stood up for himself and said, hey, I don't think I did anything wrong. He did nothing wrong. Zero wrong. The guy was throwing the pitches, and it was junk balls. And Larusa mentioned in response to Mercedes, saying that he's supposed to "quote unquote" respect the signs. I cannot get into the whole respect the signs stuff. Whenever you see something like that, you got to take your opportunity. You got to take your shot. And if you if you whiff on that, you know whatever it is, what it is, then take your walk after that. But come on, man, like let the people have their moment. Let them play. Because I feel like it's just the fact that the way the world is now, we see a lot of these, you know, older fans and these older baseball coaches like Larusa, who, mind you, should be respecting the fact that you can't—the laws about driving while intoxicated. After all, you know, you did get busted for that—not once, but twice—and you are a Hall of Famer baseball person, it doesn't get you out of a DUI. And it just blows my mind. I've been a baseball fan for the bulk of my life. And I have my family to thank for that love. I've been a fan of it ever since I can remember. I think one of my first games ever was to go see the Astros in the Astrodome. Don't remember the final score or whatever. Don't ask me about that because I was like 4 or 5. But I remember going to the Astro I'll tell you that. But when I continue to hear about these unwritten rules, it, it hurts a little bit. It takes me completely out of the game. Because you've got bat flipping, respecting the signs, all this stuff. Old people continue to ruin a game that desperately needs younger fans to latch onto the sport. To a certain extent, I feel like the boomers of baseball just continue to turn off a younger generation, a younger demographic. At the end of the day, if you're a major league baseball, if you're any major like sports league, you want to have younger fans involved in your product. You want to have a fan base dedicated towards your overall product and I just absolutely have been flabbergasted at the fact that we get this amount of hatred about a like a guy hitting a home run off a three zero pitch and sending that thing to the damn moon but I'll pause on the Saturday sports sermon, looks like we got somebody on the 103.7 The Game hotline, let's see if it's actually a person or TV's Dylan just hitting us with the dial tone. Hey, how's it going? How's it going, man? Hey, what's up? You know, I'm
2: 100% in line with you as far as unspoken spoken rules. But, you know, uh, so uh, who, who, was, who was the team that uh, pitched against Tatis? Or, or that, that guy? Who was the other the other team uh, they were playing?
1: It was, I believe, let me see. Yeah, yeah it was the Texas Rangers.
2: So, let, let me ask you this. If you put in a position player to pitch, aren't you basically conceding the game? Thank and just you. Holding out until the until the end of the game. Thank so you. Why would you put the Huh?
1: No, thank you. That's that's the thing. It's the
2: position you're, you're conceding the game. So whatever you get, if you're gonna be an idiot and have someone throw a forty three mile an hour in lollipop, yep. you get what you get. Exactly. You know, I, I this this infuriates me to no end. Just like the shift, if you shift on me and I bunt to the left side, that's your fault. Yep. Because isn't isn't shifting a a uh, strategic uh, competitive move against the other teams? Yes. So if they do a competitive move, you can't do a competitive move. That's idiotic. I'm gonna bunt all day to the left until they get back to the left side. You know, all these. Unspoken rules—it's moronic, and it's 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 just stupid, you know. And they got to get over it.
1: Thank you so much for that take, man. Do not be a stranger. We want to get in, keep this going. But again, I appreciate the hell out of that take because that's kind of where I'm at. It's archaic, it's stupid, and you run into the fact the position player for the most part, the position player. Whenever you do that, it's a lot like whenever you see, like for instance. The Saints, a few years ago, when they put in, you know, like the fourth-string quarterback, whenever they were up like fifty to nothing against like the Indianapolis Colts, that's a game where you're pretty much, all right, we're phoning it in because we already have the game secured. It's either when you have the game well in hand, or whenever you have no chance in hell of winning this ball game. In case in point, the Chicago White Sox, that situation the other night, that's exactly what that was. It's pretty much. And again, the entire like narrative that's been built over the last, I'd say, few years about the unwritten rules of baseball is a dumb idea to begin with. And again, that was on a Monday. Sixteen to four was that final. Sixteen to four. Now yes, they want to. Like losing the next day five to four, but it is what it is. Sometimes that's the Kevin Foot theory there, if you will. But if you have somebody throwing forty something miles an hour over the plate, like if I'm a if I was ever to play like pro baseball, I would be a hundred percent just crushing it. If I had like a, somebody throw a forty something mile an hour, like he said, lollipop, like a junk ball, and then some, you're gonna go ahead and throw send that thing off. I'd probably hit that thing over to the Chaffee Basin. That's how far I'd probably knock that thing out of the park if it was a forty mile an hour from a position player pitching. That's something that I, I it I'll, I'll never quite understand. The I, it's cute. I'll say that much. It is very cute. It's fun to see on Twitter whenever like MLB tweets out we got a position player pitching. It's cute. Don't get me wrong, but come on now, it's time to kind of realize there's some changes that need to be made in terms of baseball. And I feel like the biggest thing is you've got to want up making a decision whether or not you want to continue doing this position player pitching gimmick. Maybe this is that time to have that honest conversation about whether or not this needs to be a thing going forward because I'm kind of thinking that's a not just a no but a hell no in my book because I'm not sure – it's going to stand in the future. I think it's going to be something that we just continue to be frustrated about. We continue. I mean, we're talking about it now. Who's to say next week we have somebody hit, hit a home run off of a position player who throws on a 3 0 pitch? Are we going to continue this conversation? I've never, and you know, again, I think it's a lot more the old heads of baseball. I'm hoping this changes in the not too distant future. Mind you, I haven't heard anything about Dusty Baker giving a take on this, but I think Dusty Baker is a lot more diplomatic, and he'll make sure if he says anything about it, it'll be more whenever the situation does arise. I don't think it arises all that often with the Astros players, but going back to what I was trying to get to is the fact that you look at the way the games change over the last, let's say, 15, 20 years. You have a lot more of the Japanese influence, Dominican Republic, Mexico, all those guys. The game has become international. And the way baseball has been played in America for the better part, especially at the highest level of Major League Baseball over the last 100 years, has been the way it was played from Jump Street. But the way it's played in the Dominican Republic, you know, Puerto Rico, Cuba, Mexico, all, all those places, even Japan. It's very different and it's all played with a different swagger. And we see that influence into the game today. And that's kind of where I'm at. I can never quite understand why we have these converse why we have these arguments about the unwritten rules of baseball. Whenever let's be honest, those rules don't need to be there. It's almost guideline-esque and it, can, it frustrates me and confounds me to this very day. And as a longtime baseball fan, it's pretty doggone frustrating. If I'm going to be quite honest with you, but we'll we'll kind of save that more for 11:30. Can talk with Ian Castleberry about that. But in about 10 minutes or so, we're going to talk with D. Orlando Ledbetter about the Atlanta Falcons and what's going on with that franchise, with some of the changes, especially Julio Jones potentially. Going to be traded. We'll talk about that and more with D. Orlando Ledbetter at ten thirty. In the meantime, and in between time, we'll still got some times. Time to get your thoughts 337-706-0111. Also, getting some something a little bit different. That is high school football. A Texas commit opted out of the senior season. Disclaimer: If you want to go after this kid for opting out, this ain't the place to call. I'm just going to go ahead and say that on Front Street. Back after this on 103.7 The Game on 103.7thegame.com.
0: CD may be considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay off me, I'm starving. Now, back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's Sports Station.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Quick little segment here before we get to uh, our next guest. D. Orlando led better in about eight minutes or so. But if you want to get in on the conversation, 337 706 0111, especially when it comes to the unwritten rules of baseball, I'm all the way here for that. Is why the heck not? If you want to talk about anything, really, because we, we are open for changing the discussion a little bit. But I want to get to something that I saw, like, the other day on Twitter. And it's been popping up every now and again over the last 24 to 48 hours. And I, I just got to kind of give my overall thoughts on it. And, again, disclaimer, if you're expecting me to go on a tirade about high school's decision, high school kids' decision to opt out during, of playing a senior season, that's not where I'm at. That's not my M.O., And it should be anyone's if we're being upfront, and honest with each other. Nobody should be attacking a kid for his or her decision to opt out. College is a little bit of a different situation. But I think at the end of the day, I'm not going to hate the kid at all. And the kid is Jaden Blue, a commit out of the University of Texas. He announced on social media on Thursday. And again, this kind of caught wildfire on Friday. So a lot of people bring up even football scoop was catching this thing. And Jaden Blue is a commit out of the University of Texas. He announced on social media on Thursday his decision to opt out of his senior season playing at Klein Kane out in Texas. And this isn't, you know, some random player. Like, this isn't some guy that was like a two-, three-star prospect. No, this is literally, according to 24-7 Sports Composite, he's the third best in the country in his position. Third best running back in the country. According to 24-7 Sports Composite, and he tweeted out, quote, After countless hours of evaluation, I have made the decision to forego my senior season of high school football. Football is a brutal sport and the wear and tear associated with the running back position is undeniable. I plan to take this time to focus on my academics while enhancing my off-the-field training slash rehab regimen. This is a strategic and conscious effort to ensure that I am prepared to perform at an elite level at the collegiate ranks during the 2022 season, end quote. Again, I'm not going to knock the young man for what was probably a very tough decision for any player to make, let alone him, but this could make for an interesting precedent that many big-name players could follow the path set by him. Again, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm interested to see if it is a trickle-down effect because we saw it happen in the pros with a lot of the NFL players opting out, especially on the Patriots' side of things. They opted out. I know the Kansas City Chiefs player opted out, but he opted out, I think, for a little bit of a different reason and a greater reason why you saw college players opt out just go ahead and focus on the draft case in point, Jamar Chase and later on the season, Terrace Marshall. The list goes on and on. I mean, half like the first rounders all opted out outside of, I think, the quarterbacks. Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, all those guys played, but it felt like every other pick after the first three all quarterbacks, it felt like every other pick you heard had to opt out for one reason or another, and I found that interesting. I'll just go ahead and put it that way. I don't know if it's going to continue into 2021, but it is intriguing. Let's go out to the 103 seven game hotline for a second. Hello, you're on under the dome. Hey, buddy. Hey, how you doing?
0: Hi.
3: Nice to meet you. First things first, the rain has stopped, so so thank God for that. Hell oh, yeah! I just wanted to touch base. Uh, it's my first time calling your show. My name is Chris from Brobridge Bridge, and um, you know I'm a big Saints LSU fan. Wanted to touch base on a couple of couple of little things coming up. All right, let's you go know up. a lot of us LSU, a lot of us LSU fans, all for uh, all for the players, Joe Burrow. What can we realistically expect from the uh, Bengals from the Cincinnati Bengals in that division this year with Jamar Chase and some of the other players? In your opinion,
1: all right. So with Joe Burrow and the Bengals with Jamar uh, year two, here is the thing: you are going to be playing in a very difficult AFC North. You are playing. You have a division with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who I think are still going to be good enough. Mind you, the last year they were the most suspect. They're the most like mediocre undefeated team I'd ever seen in my life. And they were actually they actually managed to get some things going. Now the conversation's shifting to saying, hey, you know, where's the where's this team going to go going forward with the Pittsburgh Steelers after Ben Roethlisberger hangs it up? Then you've got the Cleveland Browns, where you got obviously OBJ Jarvis Landry. If OBJ's antics doesn't hurt the team. I mean, look at last year, the Browns' second OBJ got hurt. Everybody got so much better than the team while making the playoffs and winning a playoff game for the first time in the new Cleveland Browns era. And then you have the Baltimore Ravens. If Lamar Jackson, if the book's not out on Lamar Jackson, I think that's going to be a very tough division to come out of. It's a little bit of bad luck, but in terms of the overall performance of that offense, just sticking strictly from that perspective, I have a feeling things are going to get a lot better because we talk about Joe Burrow. Look at Joe Burrow from year one to year two at LSU. The game started to slow down for him a lot. Before that injury, I think the game started to slow down for him a little bit. Obviously, the, he got hurt due to a poor offensive line. But what people don't fail to realize is, and it's something I've talked about before, is people got really upset about the fact they did not get a offensive lineman in the first round of the draft. Didn't get Pene Sewell like maybe they should have, but at the end of the day, The offensive line became a lot more improved once more guys came back healthy because beginning of the year you saw a lot of guys that couldn't go early on. Now you're going to see these guys ready to go and you've had a fully healthy offensive line and maybe you make a couple moves in free agency, get some guys to add some depth. The conversation changes towards this offense being a whole lot better and I think the game's going to slow down even more for Burrow to where he'll be able to succeed when it comes to – the Bengals, I think they could be a second wild card team. It all depends on how, if the steel, if if Ben Roethlisberger gets hurt, the Bengals are almost guaranteed a spot in the in the AFC playoffs as a wild card team in my mind. And I think in the next couple of years, it's gonna be between it's gonna be a very fun division to watch with like three young up and coming quarterbacks in Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, and Joe Burrow.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. I'm I'm really excited to see uh, him reunited with Thaddeus Moss as well. And, uh, yeah. Thaddeus Moss caught everything at LSU. You remember that? He caught everything,
1: man. Oh no, I mean it's and, uh, it's LSU North over there because you you bring up Dad Moss, Jamar Chase, and Joe Burrow. What about Tyler Sheldon, local product? He's over there yeah. too.
3: Yes, yes. So, so that's going to be fun. And then, real quick, I want to touch base on on the Saints. You know, obviously. Um, most people around here are Saints fans, and I'm a huge Saints fan too. So we're in the post Drew Brees era. We knew it was coming one day. Um, and Jameis Winston, you know, he's a veteran quarterback. Um, hopefully he's learned a little bit to be a little bit more patient, not, you know, not force as many throws. So what do you, what do you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just hang up and listen and tell you all, all I have a great day, but what are you, uh, kind of expecting right now from the Saints this year? And, uh, Thank you, uh, for taking
1: my call. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Don't be a stranger. I want to I get some people, more people going on this year's show, especially since we're moving. You know, it's not moving from a different station, moving to a different time frame. Instead of from 10 a.m. to noon, it'll be 9 to 11 going forward, taking over the old unprompted spot. But I'm going to say this about the Saints, and I'll, I'll kind of just do a little TLDR type thing. Too long didn't read if you don't know what Reddit is. I'm going to kind of give you the the cliff notes because I've got a guest coming up in a minute. But when it comes to LSU, I absolutely love – excuse me, the Saints, listen to me. What am I doing? But when it comes to the New Orleans Saints, I think they have every opportunity to make the postseason. It's going to be – their schedule, for the most part, on paper, seems a lot easier than other years. NFC South, I think it's the only team you really got to worry about on paper is going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because they've got all their starting 22 back. Then you've got, you know, on paper, I actually said the Saints were going to be 13-4, and four, and that's a very king of wishful thinking type of take. I think the Saints are going to go 13-4, and four, make the postseason, not gonna buy, but they'll make a, make the postseason. I think they'll wind up splitting splitting the series with the Buccaneers. And I'll also throw in, I think the Saints still wind up winning the NFC South when it's all said and done. Because I think this, I think you'll see Tampa Bay slip up at certain points, especially if maybe Antonio Brown's antics become a little bit too much. I'm not sure if it's going to, but I'm gonna be a hundred percent intrigued about that. But, and when it comes to the Saints, I think they, there's so much potential there. And I'll say this about Jameis. He's going to have a leash on him, but I think he's going to overcome that. Because I guarantee you, if Drew Brees throws about, let's say, 3,500 to 4,000 yards on the season and has a ratio that's at least somewhat respectable, like not 30-30. Not not, if he's in the 30-30 club again, we need to be very concerned about our future quarterback. But I think with the LASIK, I think he'll be much improved. And of fact, he's got a really good offensive line. He's got a lot of really good weapons to choose from. I think we'll see Jameis Winston be a about thirty five hundred yards passing, and let's go twenty five touchdowns and ten interceptions. If he has that ratio, Saints fans are going to be sleeping well at night because then I think it's thirteen and I think it's thirteen and four. And I wouldn't be surprised if Drew Brees if, me, Drew Brees, Sean Payton shifts this offense more to fit that mold, to be able to use Alvin Kamara a whole hell of a lot more. I'm intrigued. I'll go ahead and just say that. We'll be back after this. When we come back, we're gonna talk some Atlanta Falcons, stick it with the NFC South. Back after this.
0: Sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp. But Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10
4: louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder. These count to
0: 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana's sports station. 103.7 The Game.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game. 103.7thegame.com. Appreciate you listening in on this beautiful as somebody said earlier, the rain has finally stopped. I have to agree with you. Definitely was a lot more Forrest Gump. You know, it just was raining, pouring all over the place the last few days. So glad it looks to be over, you know, especially when it comes to LSU and Cajun softball. They'll be classing later today. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit more in the next segment. But in the meantime and in between time, we've got to get into the conversation about what's going on with the NFC South rival, the New Orleans Saints, Soon to be the only NFL franchise with a mer- stadium sponsored by Mercedes Benz. That is the Atlanta Falcons. And to do so, we got to go over to the 1037 The Game Hotline. He is the beat writer for the Falcons for the Atlanta Journal Constitution, D. Orlando Ledbetter. Hey, how's it going, man? Hey, it's going pretty good. Thanks for having me this morning. I appreciate you coming on, on this, again, beautiful Saturday morning here in Acadiana. But let's kind of start off with. How did this all come about? Because I've just been wondering, you know, you see Julio Jones. I know he's not getting any younger, but in, like the last few days, last few weeks, I should say, since the NFL draft, we started hearing the rumors. What kind of started all this about Julio Jones possibly being traded out of Atlanta? Yeah, the uh, uh, new general manager, Terry who
5: came from the Saints, uh, went on the local uh, team's flagship station. We've been trying to get him to interview uh, with us, and those requests were denied, and he went on his uh, own station and started talking about, um, you know, looking at all their alternatives because of their salary cap situation. He pointed out that, and then later when talking to the media, he pointed out that they have to look at all their options, and they were listening to calls for Julio, and that they weren't necessarily shopping Julio. You know, they wanted to play that semantic game with it. But... um yeah, and since that point, uh, you know, folks have seen that the Falcons only have 600000 in salary cap space. And uh, Julio Jones, would, trading Julio for picks, would create 15300000 million. You'd have $13 million to sign your rookie class. Uh, but that's not the only way they can do it. Um, so it has got to be more to it than just the salary cap savings.
1: I'd agree with you, and it's kind of—it just blew me away when it comes right down to it because he's just been such a stalwart for that franchise. And I think, obviously, you bring up draft picks. What else would kind of be required for an NFL team to go ahead and grab somebody like that? Because I'm sure it's going to fetch a pretty penny to wind up giving up your wide receiver one, right?
5: Yeah, no, uh, not really. Um, second, and we're here in second and third. Wow, uh, two picks, something like that—a second and a fourth. He would have gotten more if they traded him in season near the trading deadline last year. So it would be pretty much a salary-type dump situation where uh, he's not um, seeing eye-to-eye with the new regime and, and, you know, they're going to move him. Uh, Because they could easily create the salary cap space by automatically converting his salary. And I'm not trying to bore people with the salary cap stuff. uh, But they they can convert his salary and Grady Jarrett's salary and create the space. And um, they had the space already that created by moving other contracts around, and then they used it on a kick returner and a running back. So they had the money for the rookies uh, a couple times here and could get it easily. So they can't uh, come out and say that's why they're trading them. it has got to be something else to it than the uh, you know slight salary cap savings.
1: I'd agree with you, but I, I was surprised by the fact you bring up a second- and a third-round pick could be the fetching. I was, I was thinking maybe – more along the lines of a first-rounder. But it's that's interesting to hear that Terry Fontenot is kind of shipping him for maybe like a second- and third-round pick. Yeah, no
5: doubt, no doubt. I was thinking first, maybe I was thinking a couple <laughs> picks uh, yeah. uh, when I first started hearing about it. But as you made your calls around the league and so forth, um, you know, the market is uh, such that uh, it's only probably a couple picks you're going to get for Julio. He's 32. He's got three years left on his contract um so you know um that's a factor he's coming off a um a injury plague year so you don't know what truly are you're getting so his, his market value is a little bit depressed in in uh my eyes and what uh you know you think of as a seven-time pro bowler what you should be getting for him is a little bit more than that
1: i'd agree with you it's all right now D. Orlando ledbetter beat writer for the atlanta journal constitution and just looking at you brought up Terry Fontenot. What has been your observations of what he's been able to do with this franchise in his first kind of off season?
5: Yeah, some good under the radar moves. Uh you know, they had to get under the cap. The cap went down by 8%, and, you know, he he knew how to do that after working with Mickey Loomis for years and watching them uh the Saints juggle uh juggle their um uh, cap around. So um you know he did that they're under now um they they are okay for the future had a great draft we believe um I gave him an A minus which was you know probably my highest grade ever for the Falcons uh so he's off to a pretty solid start but this Julio matter uh how he handles it going to um you know shape his uh, beginning here but we've seen it before when the new regime came in uh, Thomas Dimitrov's first trade was uh, of D- uh, D'Angelo Hall. They didn't think he would buy into that new situation, and so they moved him to the Raiders. So uh, we-, we might be seeing that same type of situation play out here with Julio Jones.
1: I'd agree with you. I think it's absolutely something that could very well happen. But you, you brought up the draft, obviously, it was highlighted by the number four pick getting the BPA, I think, at that point, getting Kyle Pitts, breaking up the trend of quarterbacks being picked early on. Were you surprised by that in any way, or was that kind of the guy they had all along, especially once they saw how, you know, the first three picks seemingly were going to go heading into draft day?
5: Yeah, they, they arrived at that point, but up until then they heavily scouted the quarterback. Uh, but sometime during that process they got really comfortable with Matt Ryan, uh, you know, uh, uh, work, reworked his contract, but thusly committing to him. So then we kind of weren't surprised when they didn't take Justin Fields with the 4th overall pick. Um you know some people said they had Trey Lance rated higher. So uh but but the pick was their guy at 4. They turned down the uh deal to go back to 7 with Detroit because um Pitts would have been taken by Miami at 6 under that scenario. So they stayed there and took their guy and then moved around the draft and got uh, a couple linemen and four defensive guys for for uh, for the rebuild on that side of the football.
1: And you were talking about you know we were talking about quarterback just now. It's like, did I? I mean, obviously you know Matt Ryan's not getting any younger, and he's definitely kind of been hit quite a bit over the last few years. Even after you know they've made the last few years, the Falcons have made a lot of moves on the offensive line to help give him some help on that aspect. How much longer do you think he's going to go for? Because obviously he's 36 years old, and we're seeing Tom Brady seemingly he's going to play football till he's 50. Like, how do long do you think he's going to hang around for? Yeah, he's trying
5: to play to his 40s, but um, he's kind of, uh, you know, we kind of matched his uh, career arc with that of Philip Rivers. And I think Philip started to decline around 38 and uh, hung around for a couple years, and, you know, didn't look good on some Sundays at 39 and 40 for him. So I'm thinking he's got two more good years, and then we might start seeing a decline. Uh, you know, uh, kind of similar to to Philip Rivers, and you know, kind of like Drew Brees. You know, you started to see the the deep balls go over the last couple of years. Um, so so that's what we'll be looking for with Matt, is if he can still get it out there and um, you know, still get it where you know it's not a pop fly. Out there down the field, but uh, for now, underneath and intermediate, I think he's fine for a couple more years.
1: I'd agree with you, but I'm intrigued to see how it's going to go because it felt like maybe with this, with the fact that you had such a deep, you know, 2021 quarterback class where you had again five quarterbacks getting drafted. I was kind of surprised because I had like a pretty early mock draft. I was kind of leaning more towards the Falcons going quarterback instead of going for Kyle Pitts because it just felt like, you know, maybe it's time to find somebody that's going to be underneath Matt Ryan in the event things change because outside of – after Matt Ryan, you don't have a whole lot of faith in, you know, those backups, right?
5: Yeah, no doubt. It's A.J. McCarron, uh, former uh, Alabama guy. Did did pretty good when he got in the playoffs for the Bengals that one year, but, I mean, he's been in Texas, uh, Houston the last couple – uh, and then they signed Felipe Frank, as an undrafted guy. So there's nobody there that, uh, I guess AJ could get you through a couple games if you needed it. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, nobody there of starter caliber, uh, up and coming. So they, they elected not to do that on purpose. They elected to hitch their wagon to Matt Ryan, didn't bring in any competition like they, um, You know, he hasn't had any competition at all his whole 13 years, and they elected to go that route, the same route the former regime did. Uh, And then maybe in a couple years you'll see them, if they're back in the draft or back up high, uh, you know, they'll look at it again and and revisit that as Matt gets a little bit older here.
1: One more before I let you go. Let's talk about the new head coach because, again, it's, it's a lot of newness going on with the Atlanta Falcons over the last few months after the abysmal 2020 season that was highlighted by a lot of blown losses. But, obviously, new head coach, Arthur Smith, he spent some time with the Tennessee Titans as an assistant. What do you say about him and how much he could wind up changing this team from the top down?
5: Yeah, he um, he's talking about finishing games and the mentality that it takes to finish the games. And, uh, you know, that was definitely one of their weak spots as they blew, um, blew massive leads. And, uh, you know, lost eight games by one, one score or, not, uh, or, or less. So, um, you know, if you can flip four of those, then you're back to 500. So then you can start talking about, uh, getting in contention here for the, um, you know, playoffs and getting back in the mix in the NFC South. But yeah, he's talking more mental approach, you know, the football part, you know, they'll put that together, um, you know, much the likeness of, uh, Tennessee with, uh, you know, a New England-style defense, 3-4 base, where they're going to mix it up. You know, Dean Pease uh, is a Billichek guy and, uh, you know, did it in uh, New England and in Baltimore and uh, in Tennessee. So, you know, we know what that's going to look like. And then they got to try to uh, firm up that line. You know, Matt Ryan's been sacked 131 times the last three years. So uh, they, they want to run the ball and, not, and stay out of those obvious passing situations where they can't hold up at. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, run the ball like Tennessee and throw out that play-action um, um, action game. You know, only problem there, they don't have Derrick Henry.
1: <laughs> Once again, appreciate you coming on. Hopefully you have a good one. You take, I'll catch you on down the road, brother.
5: All right, thank you.
1: I'm going to get this power
5: washing here. Take care. Thanks for having me. All
1: right, man, some power washing on a Saturday. That, that's how you do things wherever you're at. If you're listening to this while you're power washing, you know, take a break. Give us a call, 337-706-0111. I'm like half halfway kidding. When we come back, we'll wrap up the hour, talk some stuff that happened on the baseball diamond, also in the circle last night because we had some great stuff happen. And also give you an update about how you can watch the Cajuns game against LSU, a slight spoiler. We'll talk about that next. Ray Ernie Cady the Sports Station, 1037thegame.com.
0: to the pros and everywhere in between. I gave it a 10! Uh, a 10! Ten. A ten. Let's get back Under the Dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana's Sports Station. 103.7 The Game.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana's Sports Station. 103.7 The Game. 103.7 The Game.com and boy oh boy was a wildly entertaining Friday night in the world of Baseball, both in the collegiate level and also the pro level, and we're going to kind of get things started. Looking at LSU baseball, came away with a huge, much needed, well deserved win last night in 13 innings. I was blown away when I saw that. When I saw, I was like up all night, like keeping tabs on. I want to see what happened with LSU, what's going on with LSU, how things go with them, and then lo and behold, they were able to get. Palmineri finally got his 1,500th win. I'll get my full thoughts on Paul Maneri, you know, in a little bit, probably towards the end of the show. But LSU had six runs in the top of the 13th inning last night, helped defeat Texas A&M 12-6 at Blueville Park, to even the series at one apiece. And then the series finale is going to be today, pregame 130. You'll hear that right here at 103.7. So the game and first pitch at 2 o'clock. Definitely be a fun one, but they also clinched a berth of the SEC tournament, which they absolutely needed to do. But now comes a game, this is a massive game, more for, as some uh, Dennis Reynolds would say, the implication. The implications of making it into the NCAA tournament. Because you win this one, that makes your road, your resume, a little bit easier to understand and really a little bit easier to swallow in terms of making the SEC tournament. I think they will make the, the NCAA tournament, what's all said and done. Now they're getting ready to play in the SEC tournament, and that's whenever things kind of go no holds barred and, and things go a little bit sideways. Because most teams in the SEC that are the top dogs, they've already secured their spot. They don't have to worry about anything. So they kind of just go through the motions. LSU never really does. Even No matter where they're at, they're always going to wind up saying, hey, let's go ahead and try and improve our resume as much as humanly possible. But at the end of the day, for the most part, a lot like what we saw with college basketball this year, LSU just needs to get a win in the worst way possible after what happened with that team over the last couple of weeks or over the course of the season playing a very tough schedule. I think their RPI bails them out very much. Meanwhile, LSU softball, they came away with a really good win, 10-2. In just six innings of work over McNeese State, dominant from Jump Street. They'll be taking on the Louisiana Raging Cajuns in about a couple of hours from right now. And that'll be, by the way, on ESPN3, but it'll also be on the SEC Network. So you got two different ways of checking it out on the old TV, on the old boob tube, if you will. Hey, why not you know listen to LSU baseball and watch LSU and UL softball? Square off. That's to be a very fun ball game to say the very least. And of course the Cajuns had a very unusual ball game against George Washington. This was an absolute pitcher's duel and then some eleven inning, one nothing walk-off win thanks to Carly Heath and RBI double in the eleventh as a pinch hitter. It was impressive. And we gotta get the thing that just interests me going forward is how does Summer, Ell- does Summer Ellison pitch? Uh, like what's her pitch limit going to be? Because she already pitched five innings in the regional opener after Kander Lamb. Almost had a perfect game going into the seventh. But Lamb allowed a single and then, you know, Glasgow pulled her. Went six innings. Makes me wonder how things are going to go the rest of the way. Because that been a big bugaboo for the Louisiana and Cajun softball team. Why want you relying just on one pitcher? But we're out of time In hour number one, hour number two. Coming up next, right here on 1037 the game, 1037 thegamecom
0: This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome. With the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey! Good afternoon,
1: everybody. Hopefully you have a great one so far. Our number two of Two sweet hours here, underway. You're listening under the dome, as per the usual. and I appreciate you listening in. We're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios here,
0: this worldwide.
1: And of course, we appreciate you listening in. However, you're doing so it through that old school fm dial
0: he is the tower power he is too sweet to be sour he is the rap master there is no other there is no equal to man and of course
1: appreciate you listening if you're listening through the dot com so some people out there from the uk and even india out here listening in on the show in fact i just saw somebody from let's see where this is at oh oh wales how about that wales more power to you won't talking too much man united so maybe you know, this is a different time. Things are hitting different on a Louisiana Saturday afternoon. Appreciate you. You know, the dot .com, the mobile, everything in between. And I hope you have a great Saturday. It is a beautiful Saturday. When I woke up this morning, you know, definitely felt pretty darn good seeing the sun again. Because it felt like we hadn't seen it in a good while. But now we did. Life is good. Looks like LSU, the Cajuns. They're all going to get their games in, and that is a huge deal heading into, in the case of baseball, the SEC, and the Sun Belt tournaments, respectively. The Cajuns got a really good win last night, and to me, I felt like to certain extent they were speed-running baseball, because they, it was a pitcher's duel for probably about half of the game, and Cook was phenomenal in his start. Perfect game into the sixth inning, and then held a no-no into the seventh inning. Very impressive. And and the Cajuns basically got all their runs in in the fifth inning thanks a in large part to a man that's been on fire down the stretch, and that's Drake Osborne. He's been th- like the model of consistency the last two games that I've seen him in. Nothing short of impressive. Hopefully, Cajuns, they'll have the rubber match today, 4 o'clock, and they'll try and clinch a series because I think they, they aren't able to clinch the... Sunbelt West anymore, and I, I think UT Arlington already has secured that at this point, but that's something that's huge, and again, I'm looking forward to seeing how the Cages do later today. Meanwhile, we got LSU. They're looking to take the rubber match today to help them further prove their point and deserving of being you know, the leader in the clubhouse when it comes to the SEC tournament and being able to get into the NCAA tournament. I think that's the most important thing. Because you can't Kind of put all your eggs in one basket, and that one basket being the SEC tournament, and you make a run. Case in point, what happened with the LSU Tigers in basketball a couple months ago? Because that team deserved to be ranked a lot higher. But, of course, the NCAA, the the great people who do the selection stuff, pretty much just pegged them as an eight seed. And probably going to peg them as that, even if they won, the SEC tournament beat Arkansas for the first time all year. That would have been, like, nuts. But I'm looking forward to seeing how it's all going to turn out for LSU later today. You'll hear that right here on 103.7 The Game. Pre-game, 1.30, first pitch, 2 o'clock. And then we got the Houston Astros. They got it done. They had a hell of a performance. But then, you know, I'm going to call him Adios Garcia because he told the ball Adios in the 10th inning. With a two-run blast to walk it off, absolutely just disheartening. Adios, Garcia. That name is definitely going to be ringing in my ears. Excuse me, it's a three-run blast. I forgot about that. Sending in Willie Calhoun and Joey Gallo. Not Joey Gallo. Or uh, I was watching my cousin Vinny the other day, and that's I. Every time I see that name, Joey Gallo, I think about the my cousin Vinny, which is. Like, one of the five movies... I was talking with David Grove about this off-air yesterday. That My Cousin Vinny is a movie that, if it's on TV, you bet your bottom dollar, I am sitting down to watch this movie. I've seen it a million times. I just Bottom line, I just need to get to the scene when Marissa Timmies, like, getting the cross-examination about her credentials. That's the perfect scene. Like, that is an amazing... And the movie itself is really good, the way it's portrayed, the way it's, like, the accuracy of the movie is scary good. But enough about that. We're going to have Ian Castleberry come on in about, you know, 20 minutes or so. In the meantime, in between time, the phone lines are open, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. And I want to get to Tim Tebow, because I am full-blown conspiracy-laden here on Acadian Sports Station lately. I think the biggest conspiracy theory of them all is Tim Tebow. He is 100% deserving of a lot of heat. That's not because of anything that he said or or his beliefs or what have you. No, this this ain't about that. This is purely about him being a guy that's got a spot on an NFL roster right now. He's getting paid the league minimum. Everybody was getting all bent out of shape and whatnot, saying, you know, Kaepernick doesn't have a job and whatnot. I can understand some of the frustrations. But at the same time, this is very different. And the fact that I'm almost certain, and people can call me and tell me I'm wrong come, let's say, like early August, late July. Let's say late August. And Tim Tebow's not Tim Tebow's not going to be on a fifty-three man roster. He's thirty-something years old, trying to do something he should have done ten years ago to pro- pro- prolong his NFL career. Now I got that out there. If he wanted to prolong his NFL career, he should have got the mind. He's got should have gotten the mindset out of his head about the fact that he was going to be an NFL quarterback. Because I think Tim Tebow would have worked better as a tight end if he had been a little bit younger. Everybody was saying that since he was in the senior bowl. I remember like reading some reports about his senior bowl performance. Everybody's like, he's not going to translate that well in the NFL if he performs like that. And lo and behold, he did not. He did not. And it's amazing to think that we are going to be talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars possibly having him on the team. I don't think he's going to be. Think about it. What's one way to drum up interest from a fan base? In the state of Florida, you get one of the biggest names out there that everybody's been wanting to have on their franchise for years, and that's Tim Tebow. Like I tell you right now, like, people are obsessed, and it's like Chet Yoder levels of obsessed, if not more, about Tim Tebow. In fact, NFLshop.com, I believe this was yesterday, Tim Tebow jerseys were the top sellers, like top five sellers of Tim Tebow wearing the number 85 jersey, going about $119 a pop, which, by the way, I remember back in the day, you know, NFL jerseys were like $70. Now they're like 120 bucks. Man, the price of inflation has changed a lot in my day, but I'm looking forward to seeing how things go with Tim Tebow. I'm hoping to be wrong here. But I am seriously thinking that Tim Tebow is not going to win. Is not going to be a long-term player. He is going to be a guy that's in the fifty-three man. Not going to make the fifty-three man roster. But it's all about building up and basically, it's a work. It's it's all to drum up interest about a Jacksonville Jaguars team that hasn't been good in a good while. Added that they got Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence. People want to drum up interest, and it's also a favor because Urban Meyer is his guy. Let's go over to the 103.7 the Game Hotline. Hello, you on under the dome? Hey, what's going on, CD? man, I've hey. been be good, man. Been good. How about you?
2: I'm uh, doing good. This is Neil and Branch.
1: Neil, what's up, brother?
2: Listen, nothing much, brother. Hey, listen, I heard you talking about uh, about Tivo and this whole Jacksonville signing. Can we please recognize the genius behind this move from Urban Meyer? He saw what happened to his boy Nick Saban when he went to Miami and he tried his he tried to test out the waters in the NFL for himself and he absolutely fell into space with a bad move of taking Culpepper over Breeze and we all know how that worked out. Yeah, this was a brilliant move to take the pressure off of a rookie quarterback that doesn't have to deal with the onslaught of the media. Because it's all focused on a guy who's yep. not even a quarterback. He's a third-string tight end. And a guy that, that, like you just said, probably won't make the roster. But the interest is totally off of Trevor Lawrence. The pressure is away. He went out in the draft and got his boy, end to back him up. Somebody that he's used to handing the ball off. Somebody that he's used to having chemistry with. This was a brilliant move by Urban Meyer.
1: Thank you, Neil in Branch. That is an amazing take. Appreciate the call, man. We're going to kind of keep this thing moving because it looks like somehow, someway, we got two calls in one segment. Never in a million years would have thought that would be possible, but it is what it is. Let's keep it going. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. All right, that was Dylan. Damn it. Hope you're enjoying the state sale today, brother. Hopefully you're enjoying the state, state sale today. I can't speak today for whatever reason. But anyways, Tim Tebow is without a doubt going to be a guy that's not under the 53-man roster. He's got so much potential to be a... I, I'm amazed that Tim Tebow was even thinking about this to begin with. Let's go ahead and try this again. So we got somebody else on the line. The phone line's blowing up, all because Tebow Mania is running wild. Hello, you're under the dome. Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. Wait, wait, had you just called? Because it, it, it had dropped.
2: Well, I didn't. I just tried to call back in, but I wanted to talk college football a little bit. Oh, hell yeah. Let's go. I was going to ask you that uh, first matchup this season between Georgia and Clemson, do you think the winner of that game becomes the new number one ranked team? Uh, I know I think Oklahoma and Alabama are rated ahead of both those teams who I think are three and four, uh, Georgia and Clemson. Do you think they jump Bama or, say, Oklahoma the winner of that game? That's the prime time. ABC game uh, Labor Day weekend on All right. Saturday night.
1: So I think if Clemson wins, I think they do move up to like, and I don't think they'll wind up usurping number one, but I think they'll be number two. They'll move up a good bit because I think it's the notoriety, it's the legacy of like that team being really, really good over the last several years. They're going to get a little bit of a benefit of the doubt, and they'll move up in the rankings. If Georgia wins, I don't think they move up to the top two. I think they'll move, they'll they'll stay where they're at. I think they're going to have to prove that they can be a model of consistency. Of course, it's the post-Trevor Lawrence era for Clemson. I'm intrigued to see how that's going to go. I know we'll probably find out what a preseason top 25 poll really looks like in the next couple of months. In fact, we're only like 90 days away from the start of the college football season, and I cannot wait for it, especially you bring up Georgia Clemson. I think one game, obviously, us here in the Acadiana area are looking forward to is a game that's been going on. I'm a Daryl K. Royal Texas Memorial Stadium with the Cajuns in Texas.
2: Yeah, a lot of good games that weekend underrated. Louisville, Ole Miss. Yep. We'll see what LSU does in prime time against UCLA. My, I'm from Mississippi, but I'm down here listening to you. A lot of my, my LSU friends are trying to hype up that team. Uh, we'll see what they are. And, of course, Alabama post all the, the six-round first-round uh, yeah. uh, uh, draft picks and see if uh, Saban can get another run at it. But you guys doing a pretty good job in showing enjoying your show today. Have I, a good day.
1: I appreciate that, man. You know, Again, I always like to hear this kind of stuff because, you know, it's it's an old saying, positive reinforcement, being able to be the power of positivity. But I'm going to get to your LSU stuff in a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and take a quick time out. I wasn't going to talk some NBA postseason, but, hell, this show runs based off of you, the listener. Sometimes if you want to talk some college football, I'll get to my thoughts on LSU. In a little bit, because I think there's so much potential for that program in 2021 after everything that happened in 2020. But we'll talk about that next. Ian Castleberry joined the program in about 15 minutes. When we come back, we're get some LSU talk on May 22nd, more on the football side. After this, on 1037 the game, 1037 the game.com.
0: Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD. Yeah. Who will break it all down for us. And hey, welcome
1: back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Canadian Sports Station. Feeling good on a Saturday. You say, why the heck not? It could be summertime. And of course, you know, that means... Baseball season, full swing, full gear. And we got all kinds of great stuff up for grabs right now in the rewards club. And we also gave away something really cool yesterday. I gotta give a shout-out. A special shout out to one listener that wound up winning the Astros we can get away to go see next weekend. Those Houston Astros take on the San Diego Padres in Mike George. Congrats to him. For winning this thing. In fact, he told me it was his birthday weekend. So, brother, you've pretty much, like, Dr. John talks about the right place, wrong time. You picked the right time to enter in the rewards club today at 1037thegame.com. And you entered in to win something really cool. And hopefully, you know, if you haven't entered in the rewards club yet today, what in the world are you waiting for? We got all kinds of great stuff that is available for you to enter in for a chance to win. And that includes a $500 Visa gift card as part of the Dad Doesn't Need Another Tie Sweepstakes, because it's well past time to show your dad how much he means to you by not giving him a tie, because $500 can buy a lot of ties, but buy something really, really good as part of the Dad Doesn't Need Another, another Tie Sweepstakes, powered, powered by Cajun Gun and Gear. There we go. Now I'm going to be able to talk again. But, again, $500 Visa gift card you can score for your pops by simply signing up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com. It's free to enter, free to join. won't spam you with a bunch of emails. Let's get in on the action today. As the dad doesn't need another tie sweepstakes powered by Cajun Gun and Gear and 1037 game Acadianus Sports Station. I'm going to get some LSU thoughts right now because, well, why not? Got a question about it. I'll go ahead and get into it right now. about the Louis But LSU, where I see them standing, I really need to relook at the schedule just in terms of win-loss record. Probably do that more in the months of June and July. I'll start previewing that team a lot more. I'll actually be able to do more of a deep dive. But just in terms of bowling ball and my expectations for LSU, it's 8-4. and four. That's their like bar they've gotta jump over. And here's the thing. I have said for a while, if LSU can't get it done here, it's going to be a big deal. Like this is that year where Ed Ogin's either gotta win like, and get back to the level of expectations of LSU fans that's like not if they're like seven and six seven and five excuse me if they're you know somewhere along those lines seven and five six and six even I think that is gone add the fact you got everything else going on behind the scenes this is a big year for LSU in terms of the future LSU's got to get it done I'm not saying they need to be a national champions again, but they need to prove to a lot of people that they are still going to be a team to watch. They're still going to be a team to talk about as a potential contender. I'm not saying they're going to win, but they need to tr- prove to a lot of people that they're a contender because there's a lot of teams, especially in the SEC West, that may be getting better. I think Lane Kiffin, his offense is going to get a little bit better as, as the season rolls on. Texas A&M, Arkansas got markedly better last year. They actually won some games at the SEC. They won a lot of games they were supposed to. They've gotten better. Texas A&M, they're, they're knocking on the door of being a markedly improved team. Auburn, it's Auburn. Like They will always be a team that can be a thorn in your side. You also got your... Every year, SEC East team you'll be playing forever in a million years. Florida. You mean to tell me Florida isn't a team that's just like you're like nervous about? And that's not even bringing it to Mississippi State. I mean, hopefully, you know, Mike Leach and crew can get it done in year number two, but I'm not necessarily sure. I don't know a damn thing about that team right now. Because after the whole KJ Costello thing, there's no holds barred, brother, when it comes to that team, because you allow 600 plus freaking yards through the air on a guy that wound up just being a UDFA, an undrafted free agent in the NFL, and had that one shining moment that disappeared after that. So for me, the bar has to be eight and four. I think every year that's the bar for the most part. It's you you get basically jump over that, and you stay in at eight and four. Coach o gets a stay of execution. He gets to stay around for a little bit longer, an extended stay. He. Gets to see that thing delayed a little bit. And then, of course, if the whole Title IX investigation and all that stuff kind of leads to him, leads to a little bit more heat on him, then I think he's gone because of that. But in terms of the actual on-the-field play, if he falls below that 8-4 and four mark, that's kind of where I think things lie with him in his future to LSU. I hope he can stick around, but the odds of that happening to me right now very much slim to none, and Slim's kind of leaving the building at this point. But if you have some opinions on that, 337 We have it on Ian Castleberry in about five minutes. Talk about what's going on with the MLB. Maybe some thoughts on the unwritten rules of baseball, like I talked about at the beginning of the show. But in the meantime and in between time, let's get into what's going on with the PGA Championship that's going on right now. And I got to say, I'm blown away by who is in the leaderboard and who's the leader in the clubhouse heading into round number three. Because, of course, yesterday was moving day. And Louis Usaizen, he is at 5-under tied with, I'm not going to say he's my favorite player. Because I think, you know, Rory, Brooks Kepka, those guys, and, you know, Dustin Johnson, they're all, you know, up there. And, like, I'm going to root for these guys. But Hefty Lefty, being at five under, tied for the lead, heading into day three, I'm all the way here for it, to be honest with you. Give me this, man. I absolutely love the fact that we got him in that tied for first situation. Of course, I'd love to see DJ in it, but he's not. It is what it is. He got booted out. Sam Burns would have been fun, too. But Sam Burns had to withdraw to a back, due to a back injury. But, man. It's gonna be really fun to see how that leaderboard does shake out over in the PGA Championships. I'm not, I, I, it's weird. And you know, Kevin Foot and I and somebody else, Dan McDonald, we got in a conversation about it because it's very weird to think about the fact that the PGA Championship going on right now. But we were talking to Dan, and ba- Dan McDonald basically said, and I can definitely understand that, that the PGA wants to see the season completed by September. That's why they're moving up the championship. And the fact that it's a Ryder Cup year. They want to move that up because they don't want to have it be, like, in conjunction with, you know, college football season and NFL season, all that stuff, which is the smartest thing I think I've heard the PJ do in a good while because you think about it. The interest in golf is typically from spring spring. Till like late summer. Like from the second the Masters happen, the second you hear, hello friends, Jim Nance here. Get ready for a tradition unlike any other. That kind of thing. Everybody's interest spikes up significantly. So why not, you know, a month after that, you bring in the PGA Championship, then you have the U.S. Open not too long after, I believe it's around Father's Day. You make it mean a little bit more and you get through it you get through your majors, then you obviously got the the Open, which I, I don't like the fact to call it the Open, but it is what it is. And then you also have the Ryder Cup this year. It's a Ryder Cup year. I can't wait to see how that's going to go. But again, you've got a really fun round three, especially the leaderboard right now. It's definitely tight. Again, Louis Usaisen at 500, tight with Phil Mickelson. you got Brooks Capco right behind him. At four under, the potential Blake of the year getting it done. Hideki Matsuyama, Christian. I'm not even gonna bother trying to pronounce that name. Beswidenhout. I'm probably pronouncing that right. Brandon Grace, all tied at three under. The tide for fourth right now. Then you got Paul Casey, Kevin St- Streelman. Then you got Sung Im, all tied for seventh alongside Corey Connors and then Gary Woodland. Bryson DeChambeau at one under, but again. Hefty lefty. Never in a million years would I think hefty lefty would have been back in the conversation of a guy that's a contender for a PGA Championship, and it blows my mind. Phil Mickelson is still in contention at the ripe old age of fifty, and I would have thought he was a little bit like older, over fifty. But again, I think that's the fact that like he's been playing since I can remember, like since I can remember watching. Like the first bit of like PJ golf, probably back when I was like in middle school ish. Like when Tiger was really getting big. That's around the time when I started watching golf. So, I, and again, it's the fact I, I was younger and always felt like these guys were a lot older. It's always, it's the same thing, you know, when I saw like I'm a pro wrestler, New Jack. He passed away last Friday. I brought it up on the show. Passed away at the age of 50. I think he was 50 something. I can't remember his age, just off top. I'm like, go ahead and try to pull this up right now. He he passed away at the age of 58. He didn't seem like he he's felt like he was much older because again, you were young and he was already a full grown adult. It's like okay, maybe I mean it's just the fact like I'm getting older and I'm starting to realize you know it's not that much of a difference really between me and Phil Mickelson in terms of age and that that blows my mind. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. Ian Castleberry going to talk some MLB
0: next Don't lie because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 The Game.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037TheGame.com. Hopefully, have a great Saturday afternoon coming to you live as always from the first south farm credit studios and right now we're gonna get on the 103.7 the game hotline right now our guy ian castle we're gonna get some mlb talk in how you been man hey i've been great clint how are you i'm doing great just a little bit more frustrated than anything about what's going on with the state of the mlb right now with the unwritten rules of baseball all started we talked about it at the beginning yeah. of the show what's going on with the unwritten rules of baseball namely Everybody's favorite curmudgeonly old school coach in Tony La Russa. What was your reaction to that when you heard him kind of complain about Yerman Mercedes and his hitting of a three zero like lollipop and sending it out almost to like some other ballpark out there?
4: You know, I wish I could say I was surprised uh, that Tony La Russa- uh, you know, it was being curmudgeonly and sticking up for the unwritten rules and the right way to play the game. I think what's most disappointing is that he's not sticking up for his own player in that situation. Kind of like we saw last year with Jace Tingler and Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, stick up for your player, support uh, your team, read your clubhouse. Uh, even if you didn't approve of what uh, Yermin Mercedes did. I, I mean, I just think the situation where you know it was a blowout game, the Twins had a position player, uh, in uh, Williams Williams's Studio in the, on the mound. Uh, it it was a situation. I, I you're not supposed to swing three zero, but I mean, it was the pitch was teed up for him. Uh, I th- I still think your instinct is to swing. You see a you know a big fat meatball that you can hit out of the park. yeah uh, and Mercedes. Went and did it. I mean, that that's just instinct, and, and I don't I don't think that ruins the game or anything like that for, for a guy to hit a pitch that that he can hit. And it, you know, if you're not if you're supposed to stop playing when it, it's a blowout game, then you know, Major League Baseball needs to get together and decide that there needs to be a mercy rule because it, right, don't stop playing. I know everybody wants to go home or whatever when, it, when it's a blowout, but you can't tell these guys to stop playing.
1: Exactly. That's the thing. You can't just go ahead and like, especially, you know, I think it's also, hey, like, let's be honest. Isn't it time for the MLB just to kind of step in and say, hey, like, it's cute and all the position player pitching stuff, but at least, you know, keep it down to a bare minimum? Cause it's like, why are you going know, to save your guys and save your other arms whenever a game's out of hand and just go ahead and throw in position player pitching just so you can get people to talk about it on Twitter?
4: Yeah, uh, I, I don't think, you know, Aaron Boone was outspoken the other day, at least raising the issue of a mercy rule. I don't think we're ever going to see it. it I agree. just Maybe seems a little too little league. But I think that there, there does have to be some consideration, you know, that, that don't put in a position player. You're worried about saving your pitching staff. But, again, I mean, I, I think you could argue. Sometimes it's fun. You know, you see uh, Anthony Rizzo strike out Freddie Freeman. Uh, and everybody has a big laugh about it, but you're raising the white f- flag, and, and it it kind of makes a mockery of the game. So if you're gonna do that, I mean, you don't see like the NBA in like a you know a forty point game. Yeah. Assistant coaches suddenly starting <laughs> that, uh, that'd know, be fun, Actually, out there at guard and, and playing. What other sport does this sort of thing?
1: No, it's absolutely ridiculous that we see this stuff happen. I think it's time, like unless you like had some experience in the past and you know beyond the high school level I'll say then you can say hey like you'll have a you'll have a designated position player that can come out there in like a garbage time type situation i think that's what the mlb needs to do with the situation going forward cuz it's it's been bugging me like the and you know for a while and i think this kind of exacerbated it and then you have tony larussa saying you know he didn't respect the signs and he, he didn't he didn't follow the unwritten rules he never, he never said it in that term but it's pretty much implied that oh wait hey, you know if you don't play by these rules you're gonna get some some blowback and getting blowback from within your own team was the, probably the most frustrating thing of it all
4: yeah I can see the rules of being that if Mercedes was given the sign to take and he swung away anyway you know maybe you can make an argument. There's a little bit of insubordination and, and respect uh, authority uh, and so forth. But I just think this unwritten rule stuff, it doesn't do anything for the game. Uh, it, it gets us arguing about it, but it, it's, it's discussing baseball for all the wrong reasons uh, rather than, you know, Shohei Otani, for instance, the Angels uh, slugger and pitcher, is having an outstanding season. He's got lead major league baseball with 14 home runs. He's got a 2.37 ERA as a pitcher. I mean, a guy dominating the game as a hitter and a pitcher, we should be talking about him every day. Instead, we're talking about this garbage, you know, Tony LaRusso sitting on his porch sh- shaking his fist. I mean, I think in some ways people were, were ready for something like this with LaRusso because it was just such a bizarre circumstance for the White Sox to hire him. And, and there was, I, I think – Baseball people in the media were just waiting for the first opportunity for La Russa to look like an old man who's out of touch. And La Russa obliged by, yeah. by doing this. And I think, uh, you know, we're all running with that storyline.
1: Exactly. Talk around Ian Castleberry, part of Awful Announcing right now on one of the recent the game. And, you know, we are talking about the Chicago White Sox. They've pretty much been leaders in the clubhouse from day one in the AL Central, and everybody's kind of pegging them as number one in their latest rankings. I saw for the four-letter network. A lot of other people have put the Chicago White Sox firmly at top. Are they the real deal, or is this too early to be like Denny Green and crown them? I think it, uh,
4: they are the real deal. I, I mean, going into the season, it looked like they had an outstanding pitching staff, and we've seen uh, the likes of uh, Lucas Giolito and Carlos Rodone who had a no-hitter this year, Uh, Dylan Cease, Lance Lynn's having a great season. So they have an outstanding starting rotation. They signed the best closer available in free agency in Liam Hendricks. They have uh, Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, the reigning uh, MVP, and even with some injuries like uh, Luis Robert uh, losing him. But I think the the White Sox certainly are for real. I don't think this is just an early surge uh, but they are certainly helped by, I think, one of the biggest surprises so far of this MLB season, in how bad the Minnesota Twins are. I-, I picked the Twins to win the AL Central. I-, I thought they had a little bit more pitching than the White Sox, but the Twins have been abysmal. They're 16-28. and 28. They're even behind the Tigers in the AL Central. Just how bad this team has been is a shocker, and I, and I think if we continue to see that, if, if the Twins can't compete, with the White Sox, they're going to run away with, with the division. I know the Indians are right there, and they do have some outstanding starting pitching. But ultimately, I think their offense uh, falls short. And this, could pro- this will probably be the biggest uh, division margin. The White Sox will win by the most of the three divisions in the American League.
1: I'd agree with you. I think when it comes right down to it, the... Minnesota Twins have underwhelmed. I think that's a big reason why we're seeing the Chicago White Sox be at the top of that division. But you, you brought up something else I want to kind of get to, the no-hitter. We are in May 22nd of 2021, and last I checked, we have six official no-hitters, keyword official no-hitters, tied for the most of all time, mind you. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the, the seven-inning no-hitter in a minute, but do you think the no-hitter is good for baseball right now? It's not good in how
4: frequently it's happening. I mean, this is still a special singular achievement in baseball. You know, it's other than the perfect game, of course. It's the best a pitcher can do in an individual performance on the mound. But it seems less special when you have one a week or you have one on you know, consecutive nights like you did this past week. And it also it feeds into the notion of offense being down In baseball, You know, there's so many strikeouts now. The ball's not put in play. Guys aren't hitting for a high average anymore, and it's made baseball pretty boring to watch at times because you do get, you know, what they call those three true outcomes. You know, you get a home run, a walk, or a strikeout, and that's not good for baseball. I think what's also a little bit of a concern is, as you look at the pitchers who have thrown no-hitters, This year, I mean, we're not seeing guys like Trevor Bauer and and Clayton Kershaw, uh, the guys that you typically uh, associate as dominant pitchers. You know, the likes of Wade Miley, uh, Spencer Turnbull for the Tigers, who's having a good season, but I don't think anybody would call him a dominant starter. You have guys who, are, are, you know, pitch to contact and get guys to miss, don't necessarily blow them away, which I think speaks to how how much of a problem hitters have putting the ball – into play, you know. There's so much emphasis now on uh, launch angle and exit velocity and lifting the ball, uh, rather. You don't know, just see a, a guy content, you know, to, to hit a ball really hard into the gap for a, a, a double anymore. It's a, it is a concern, uh, but I, I think it feeds into a, a bigger story uh, in Major League Baseball.
1: I think it's perfectly fine. I think the fact you're getting it a lot, it actually me I mean. It's the fact that I think baseball maybe overcorrected itself because we talked, we heard about it a lot, especially from Justin Verlander talking about how the baseballs were a little bit juiced, if you will, the last few years. Now we're seeing it be a little bit less so, and we're seeing the pitchers take over the contest. And we're seeing a lot more of these no nos. Haven't seen a perfect game yet, but we've gotten there. But do you think the like seven inning no hitter should be counted? Because I felt like that one should have been hundred percent counted towards the record books.
4: I uh, changed my mind on this one. At first, I did not think it should be counted because how many guys take a no-hitter into the eighth inning and they lose it in the eighth inning or they lose it in the, in, in the ninth? You know, Getting uh, 21 outs as opposed to 27, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a big difference. However, the, if the rules of the game state that a doubleheader game is played seven innings and a pitcher pitches those seven innings and doesn't allow a hit, Mad, unless the game went to extra innings, Madison Bumgarner pitched the minimum amount of innings he was allowed to pitch. You can't if, if he's only supposed to pitch seven innings and he doesn't allow a hit, then it should be considered a no hitter. Go ahead and put an asterisk next to it if you need to, and point out the fact that yeah, he only pitched seven innings as opposed to nine innings for for most uh, major league no hitters. Uh, but I do I do think that should be counted, and I'm glad. That you know, you and many others point out the fact that you know it, it's it's been six no hitters, but it really it's seven.
1: Like exactly, I think it should be counted because of the fact like, you're playing in the construct of the game the way it is now, where you're saying, hey, you're got to play these seven inning double be it due to COVID or due to weather change, like calling off another game. So why not count that if it's a game that gets called off in the seventh then it's a no no and it was supposed to be a full nine inning game? Obviously, that won't count towards the record because that game would have been called off due to something else out of your control. But if it's a seven-inning doubleheader, I think that's where the debate goes into play.
4: Yeah. Uh, it, it, if, if those are the rules that are established, that Major League Baseball says you play seven innings in a game that's in a doubleheader, then that that's, that is pitching or that is playing to the rules of the game. And that's exactly what Madison Bumgarner did.
1: Talking about Ian Castleberry, let's flip on over to the Houston Astros for a minute because they've been looking pretty darn good as of late last 10 games. They've won eight of the last 10, and they've won five straight series, including the most recent series against the Oakland A's. They lost the first game against the Texas Rangers last night, but you got to think that this team is maybe exceeding expectations. A lot of it has to do with the fact of their offense being like way ahead of schedule.
4: Yeah, I mean, before the season, uh, had we had a chance to talk about it, I, I did pick the Oakland Athletics to win the AL West because I thought maybe they just had a slight advantage in starting pitching, but acknowledging that the the Astros had a far superior lineup, and, and it was going to be a very close race because of that. And we're we're seeing, you know, yeah, the Astros are hitting the ball really well. Yuli Gurriel has really come on. Jose Altuve has shaken off what looked like an early season slump. Kyle Tucker has been outstanding uh, to the point where, you know, it's no surprise that the Astros let George Springer go in free agency. And I think that for the Astros to be playing this well, when they've had starting pitching injuries, obviously Justin Verlander out, but we've also seen uh, Jose Uquiti, uh, Jayco Odorizzi, suffer from injuries as well i think you have to be scared if you're the oakland athletics and think wow uh the astros can definitely improve and you wonder if the if oakland not to say that they've plateaued but can they play much better than they have been where i think as you look at the houston astros especially from a pitching standpoint i think there is definitely room for improvement. And they're already outstanding. I mean, 242 runs scored. That's second in Major League Baseball. They've allowed 178 runs, which is fourth in the American League, plus 64 run differential. That's the third best in Major League Baseball. So, so even though they're a half game behind the athletics right now, I mean, that, that's what almost a, a virtual yeah. tie. Uh, I think you have plenty of reason to be optimistic if you're an Astros fan, um, not only that for them to win the AL West and dominate, but as we talked about with, the AL Central being so weak, the Astros are going to make the postseason, whether it's as a division champion or a wild card, because I think only one team is going to come out of the Central, maybe two teams out of the American League East. So to me, the path just looks wide open for the Astros here.
1: We brought up the Oakland A's. All right, 30 seconds. Do you think the Oakland A's moved to Vegas?
4: Yes, I do. I think that there have been so many problems uh, with, Oakland with with, with that Bay Area, uh, I think the Giants, you know, will prevent a move to San Jose or or Santa Clara or something like that. Uh, Las Vegas isn't a great market uh, for Major League Baseball in terms of TV or whatnot, but I think to to move to someplace that is really excited to have Major League Baseball, I think, yeah, and Las Vegas looks like, like the heavy favorite right now.
1: Ian, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road and enjoy the weekend.
4: Hey, looking forward to it. Thanks for having, so much for having me on, Clint.
1: All right, Ian, take it easy. That was Ian Castleberry. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ian IanCast, if you want to get the latest on baseball and also a bunch of nerd stuff as well. Appreciate him coming on the program back after this one final take, and we're going home. Back after this on 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com.
0: Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. Last night, a head
1: coach that's been in the business for a long, long time reached 1,500 wins. And that coach's name? You guessed it, Paul Miner. He wins, and then everybody bops him over the. Uh, is like, still degrading the man. Like, it's absolutely insane. And, again, it further proves why LSU fan base just continues to boggle my mind. It makes me wonder why they are fans to begin with. Why are you hating on a man that's got 1,500 wins, just secured a spot in the SEC tournament, and has gone through probably – the worst couple years of his life and I feel like again, I have no inside source on this but I think Paul Baneri rides off in the sunset on his own terms, barring anything out of the ordinary he doesn't deserve this hate he's getting he's just had an incredibly tough schedule the SEC baseball landscape has been like insane this year you got arkansas, vanderbilt, tennessee, even mississippi i mean mississippi state, we didn't even bring them up. Those four teams alone are absolute monsters in the league. But apparently you've got to dominate even with a very tough division you're you're dealing with in the sun in the SEC West. Listen to me, not the Sun Belt West, but I still don't understand the hate. I understand that people aren't a fan of the fact they've been underwhelming the last like couple of years. But there's no reason to just immediately be like, oh, hey, if he, it's time to get rid of him. Time to move on. Palmineri's been doing a pretty damn good job over the last few years. And then, you know, if he sticks around, I'm sure a lot of guys underneath him aren't going to stick around. At least that's my opinion. But we will be back next week. Not from 10 a.m. to noon. No, no, no. 9 to 11. We're moving 9 to 11 going forward after this week. And we'll talk to you then. Under the Dome with CD is... D-O-N-E. Talk to you later.
0: Hey, Clevis! Wake up! The show
5: is Oh, yeah!